episode number one. Ladies and gentlemen, boils and ghouls, children of all ages. Welcome to the show, guys. Um, so, if you're joining me new, uh, this is my first official podcast episode. Uh, my name is Chris, but you can call me Moon. Uh, and tonight we're kind of going to, um, kind of going to set a baseline. Um, we're going to be talking some horror movies on this podcast, and I figured I'd start with the classics, and that way you can kind of get a feel for, uh, my thoughts on things, um, and figured I'd start with the big four and the originator, the first a uh, movie in the franchise for the big four was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, if you know me at all, you know I've got hot takes on just about every, um, on, on about every franchise and about half the movies in them. Uh, this one I'm not such a hot take on. Um, I do consider it a slasher, not necessarily in the vein of what would come afterwards, but, you know, you, Leatherface had to walk so that everybody else could run. Um, or he had to run so everybody else could stall, whatever you want to say. Um, the way that this movie, uh, the way that I came to this movie was one of those, um, when I was growing up, there was, I grew up in the era where there was three channels on the TV, um, and then teenage years, late teenage years, um, we got a local independent station, and they would do just all kinds of different stuff to uh, get people to watch because they didn't have a big network affiliation on their show or on their channel. Um, so sometimes they would run things unedited. Um, and then they would do it at like 11 or 12 o'clock at night. But uh, one weekend night, they ran Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was probably 15-ish, somewhere in there. And they ran it completely unedited. Um, of course, you know, looking back on it, we realized how little blood and gore there actually is. And almost no language. Um, at least none that I can really think of. Um, so, you know, they ran it, they ran the, the movie completely unedited, unedited, and I recorded it onto VHS and had that tape for years. Um, first time I saw it, it pretty well freaked me out. Um, I... You know, it comes on and it tells you that it's a true story. Well, we're talking, you know, mid-80s. Um, wasn't no internet where you could just jump on and, and look and see. So, you kind of had to take that with, um, you know, you kind of, that kind of stuck in the back of your mind. Um, whether, if it was true or not, or if that was marketing or whatever. Um, so that, that adds to the creep factor when you don't know. Uh, it, it's actually kind of a neat factor to it now that we do know and do know the the story of Ed Gein and all the and all of the stuff that he actually did do. Um, 
and all of the movies that he inspired from Psycho to TCM to um, I know there's a couple others in between but of course uh, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs is hugely inspired um, you know it's somebody from the 50s who has a terrible reputation and did some terrible things but really didn't kill but two people and a suspected third uh, you know there are so many serial killers and, and spree killers and all of that that have such, you know, more more body counts. But yet this one's the one that we go back to because it creeps us out the most because of the um, because of the necro um, and because of the um, um, desecration of the graves, the grave robbing, the things like that. Hi, Jen. Thank you for joining us in the comments, my dear. Exactly. That's That was actually going to be one of my next points, was the local TV station that ran it unedited didn't really... There really isn't a whole lot to, to edit out. There's almost zero. The bloodletting scene in the van, when he cuts her finger and then the one kill with the chainsaw on Franklin are really the only blood um, effects in the movie that are that are direct. You know, you see a bloody table, you see a bloody hammer, tools and whatnot. But, you know, the, the atmosphere for this movie, you can, from the moment that they come on screen, you see the... Um, the cemetery scene, um, graveyard scene, and then you get, then you're in that cramped, tight little 70s van, you know, in the Texas heat, and, you know, you don't, you don't have to be from the south to understand how hot it is in the summertime, because it gets hot everywhere, but then you add that dryness to it, that, where there's no moisture in the air whatever whatsoever it's it's like being in a convection oven when you're in that van where you know you've got to pull through those front two windows is all the air you've got coming in so this movie sets an atmosphere to begin with it's hot it's dry it's dirty it's sweaty um and that's just that just makes you uncomfortable and then you cram five people uh, and a, one of them in a wheelchair, in an old 70s wheelchair, no less, in the back of a cargo van. That, that, that's uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable on a real level. It's not the monster that's making you uncomfortable at that point. It's just real life. You know, nowadays we're getting away from that because every car has air conditioning, you know, every car has climate controls and, you know, uh, heated and cooled seats. Um, it might not affect a younger person today in the way that it would somebody my age or, you know, 5, 10, even 20 years younger. Um, we can smell that van. Anybody, anybody my age, you see those people packed into it you can smell that van. And it, and it might not even be B.O., it's just 
you know, it's just humans, you know, packed in tightly together. So you got that to start with, and then they go um, and find out that their relatives' were, graves were not disturbed, but they go on down the road and then they get to this gas station. And here's where you get kind of a big element of this movie. Um, sometimes it's it's played up depending on on um, depending on your personal thoughts on things, but the culture clash between the college kids um, and the um, more rural lifestyle, the city kids, the rural area. Um, you can definitely tell that the filmmakers were um, much more leaning towards that urban lifestyle than the rural lifestyle. Um, the characters that they portray, the way that the townsfolk are portrayed, um, it, it's, it, it's kind of negative, but it's not horrible. But it just highlights the difference because then you get cut to the college kids in the van and they're doing their horoscopes. They're kind of leftover hippies kind of thing, um, the way they're dressed. the And all that tells you that, you know, they're kind of holdovers from the late 60s. So you've got that culture clash between ideals. You've got that culture clash between... Um, city versus rural you've got all of that layered on top of each other and then you've got that heat so you're you're building and building and building this um, legitimate uncomfortability to this movie that's one of those things that people talk about a lot with this one is that they feel that it almost feels like a documentary um, and it, it does. It, it, there's no real musical score to it. Um, they use a lot of sound effects in the background. Uh, the slaughterhouse sounds that are throughout it. The machinery sounds, that, that pulsing sound. Um, when they're driving, when they first get to their grandfather's, grandparents' house, there's this, this, this slight pulsing machinery sound very low in the in the mix um that is both kind of comforting and in the same way it's also kind of um it's it's like an engine is driving the the forward with the atmosphere um you get to the gas station and a lot of people who don't know what was going on in the early 70s want to put the fact that the gas station didn't have gas on the gas crisis on all of that but if you actually look at your dates that didn't happen yet this is August July um, and then that didn't happen until October and November and then the big crash of course in January so it wasn't the fact that that they couldn't get gas it was the fact that the truck driver wasn't in a hurry to get there. He was, you know, 
They were they just didn't have any in stock. It wasn't that it wasn't coming in. It was this that it wasn't there yet. Um, which you know, the filmmaker being somebody who is from the city, um, probably that was probably a crack on the rural lifestyle and the laid back and you know not not taking time schedules and, and all of that seriously. Um, uh, uh, one of our commenters, Jen, says she has always felt that the Blair Witch took a lot of influence from the TCM. I can see that completely. Um, <laughs> for nothing else, there's a lot of screaming going on. Um, but, yeah, very much. It, it's very much a built-up atmosphere, very much a fish-out-of-water to a degree. Um, so I can, I can see that. That I hadn't thought about that before, but that does make a lot of sense that Blair Witch could have taken a lot of influence. And the documentary kind of feel to it. Although they went, found footage versus this one, but that does make perfect sense. Um, so you've got all these sounds and stuff in the background pushing forward, propelling you towards something, um, driving it forward with a meandering story on screen. So you've got that, again, another conflict. You've got something that feels like it's pushing you, and yet at the same time, the people on the screen don't seem to be in any hurry. So... They go to their grandfather's or grandparents' house. Um, I can't remember if it specifically just says grandfather um, or if their father owns it, but it was their grandparents together or whatever. Um, doesn't really matter. And of course, the first thing they do when you get when a Scooby Gang gets there is they split up. Um, oh wait, I did actually. Um, I forgot about the hitchhiker. Um, the sequence with the hitchhiker, um, Ed Neal, um, you can't really leave that one out because that's kind of the, where all the foreshadowing is, um, you know, it, it, that general cautionary tale of never pick up somebody on the side of the road, you can pick up a murderer, you can pick up a weirdo, well, they do, um, but again, the whole thing between the um, that early 70s changeover era between the dippy hippies and what would become the you know the 70s and their um, realistic ideals and, and view of the world um, they, they really weren't as realistic as they thought but at the time um, and, you know, the, the bloodletting scene, the picture scene, and then, of course, the cursing scene where he burns the picture to, you know, freaks everybody out. Um, talks about head cheese, um, which was a big joke for a long time with people that I knew. Um, I mean, it is a real thing. Um... But, you know, it, it describes how they make it and all of that stuff. And he's not being unfactual. I mean, he's telling you the truth. Um, but, again, the 
culture clash here with the um, kids whose meat comes from the grocery store versus you know somebody who might raise cattle or in this case worked at the slaughterhouse you know the, the difference between where dinner comes from when you live on a farm versus when you live in the city um, you know that, that people don't realize what it goes into raising livestock but they also a lot of them can't fathom what it takes to 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 get livestock to market um, so they finally get to the grandfather's house where they're gonna hang out for a while before going back to, to see if the gas station got gas in um, and our first two split up um, Kurt and Sally and they walk to the neighbor's house or they, they're going to the swimming hole first but then they decide that there since there's a house close by that they will um, go and check on it and and again foreshadowing the um, and how smart things are set up in this movie you know when they have the hitchhiker in the van he keeps talking about you keep going down this road my house I live right off of this road well you know, wasn't paying that much attention. They were freaked out and, and all of that. But the audience gets that information. But they don't get it, you know, it's not spoon-fed to them. So you have, when you get there, you'll see it. But until it happens, you know, you don't really think about, you know, this dude lives on the same road. Um... So, of course, you get there, you have the infamous scene where um, they find all the cars out in the back. They hear a generator, so they decide that they're going to... Kurt's going to trade him his guitar uh, for a couple of gallons of gas, you know, or at least an offer. Um, and he goes, it just barges right into the house. Um, you know, no respect for private property, again. Maybe this is culture clash. Maybe this is culture commentary. Um, but you got to remember, it's the early 70s in rural Texas. Walking up on somebody's property is one thing, but walking up into their house, uh, you know, that's that's that was a big no-no. It's a big no-no now, and that's 50 years later. Um, but it sure was back then. That was a real good way to get, you know, killed. I mean, even in real life, and that's kind of one of those things that, that, again, this movie puts out there is that culture clash, that separation between whether you would walk in or, you know, or you think you should be able to walk in, you know, real life in the country versus Mayberry on TV when you just walked in, um, and he pays the price for it. Um, you get our first look at Leatherface, and a, there's no musical stinger like there would be today. Um, you just get literally, he walks up, big guy steps out, cracks him in the head with a hammer, and slams the door behind him. It, it happens so fast, there's no time for blood splatter, no time for anything. You get a, a mild cracking sound, and you get that big steel door. And it kind of leaves you with that, did that happen? What? 
Are you sure? You know, and you don't see it anymore. It's gone. They don't follow up immediately. Uh, they do follow up, but they don't follow up immediately. It just cuts straight back outside the pan. And then we get this this um, scene of Pam walking up to the house. Um, now, th over the years, this has kind of been a, a point of uh, filmmaking versus uh, audience ideas, and you know, the clash between certain elements um, that are out there. So you show the the, sh the shot is Pam walking up to the house. It's shot very low and directly behind her, pretty much directly on her butt. Um, there's no nudity in the film. This is as close to any kind of that sort of thing that you're going to get. Um, she's wearing an open-backed top that was, you know, very popular in that era. Um, so it's shot like that now, according to the filmmakers according to toby hooper and according to his cinematographer it was shot that way to show the house as being imposing and the house as being a character unto itself uh, which they elaborate when she gets inside and you see the quote-unquote character of the house um certain audience members felt that that was very degrading Certain audience members felt that that was a really great view. Um, all of that stuff aside, one thing it does is because of technology now, we can see what that house actually looked like. It is a very smart filmmaking technique on it because that house is tiny, but every shot of it is shot low and at an up angle or sidelong um, with minimal things in perspective on it it looks big it looks mean and imposing like they intended it to if that's your take on it um, I, I don't complain about the shot for what the shot is I, I appreciate the shot for the effect that it gives you on the house um, and I don't have a problem with it. I know that some people over the years have taken issue with it. And I can kind of see why they would. But if you listen to what the filmmakers actually tell you and have said throughout the last 50 years of it, um, that wasn't the intent. And it just worked out that way. So... Pam goes into the house, sees the big metal door, um, and then she falls down into a room that's full of bones with a chicken in a birdcage and furniture made out of, of bones and all of this stuff that was um, very much based on the kind of things that Ed Gein had in the farmhouse, um, in his farmhouse. Um, very much based on the things that he did. Uh, supposedly, and I've seen this movie a hundred times and haven't seen it, but supposedly there is um, a set of dice on the floor that are, they're actually 
cheap dice from the local um, drugstore, but they are, they took them and um, took a lighter to them, and so that they would yellow, the to yellow the white plastic and make it look like bones because there was, um, because that was one of the things that Ed Gein had in his house was a set that was uh, carved from bone, and he had also given a set of dice to a friend that were carved from human bone. Um, yes, um, I did know that, that there was, um, uh, Jen in the comment says um, that Ed Gein got the idea for that sort of thing from the Nazis. Yeah, I did know that there was um, that sort of thing, and I also know that he was uh, had talked to the local veterans from World War II and and had uh, a huge interest in, in taking um, talking to them about the horrible things that had happened. Um, and when he lived, he probably had veterans from World War One that he talked to as well. But I know that there was. Um, that they said that he would, um, when he would find out somebody had served in the military, that he would pretty much um, not, it wouldn't be, it would be much less conversation and almost like an interview. Um, and if they didn't want to talk about it, it would, he would get very aggressive with, you know, how many people did you kill, what was, you know, and all of that stuff. Um, So, um, the, the bone thing, the, um, the dice thing I always thought was an interesting thing. I've never seen them. Supposedly they're in the shot where if you really look, you can see them, but, um, maybe if, maybe if it was on a, projected onto an actual, um, movie screen versus, you know, the 50 inch TV at home. Even in like 4K, I've never seen it. So, um, but supposedly it's out there. So next time you see that scene where Sally falls in the room full of bones, um, you know, look for it. See if you can find them. Um, uh, but Ed Gein had given a set of, of really polished, uh, quote unquote, ivory uh, dice to the um, innkeeper. Or the bartender that he had uh, that he actually ended up um, trying to date um, so uh, now we get kind of the most infamous scene um, or one of the most more infamous scenes uh, one of the ones that's that's that non-horror people often talk about is the meat hook scene um, saw an interview with um, the lady that played Sally uh, and she was talking about the way that they did that scene um, part of it was really painful for her um, because they took a pair of um, took a couple of pairs of uh, nylons of pantyhose um, and braided the legs together on it and wrapped those around her because they didn't have money for uh, 
a suspension harness or anything. So that was wrapped around her legs underneath those short shorts. Um, and when and that was what they hung her on the hook with. Um, and of course it, it jerked her whole body when they hung it. It gave a great effect. It looks great on camera. Uh, and you can actually see where it pumps her legs up when, when the actual, when it actually hits bottom, so to speak, on the hook. Um, but the, but the legs of the pantyhose went right up into the middle and, um, rope burn, I believe was pretty much the way that she explained it. Um, so he hangs her on the hook and then you see him start the chainsaw and you see him working the chainsaw um, on it and her screaming and screaming and you're, you're seeing this from every angle other than you never saw the hook go into her back um, despite the Mandela effect of it and people claiming for years you never saw the hook come out the front you never see him actually cutting the body with the chainsaw you just see the, the that there's a the body on the table and then he's doing the um, that he's cutting something up on the table with the saw uh, again your mind creates these things um, this scene and and um, are one of the ones that, that actually got the film an R rating um, they were wanting a PG rating uh, and PG for the 70s so it would be an R today anyway but um, was that that scene of the meat hook you couldn't have they were told that they couldn't have anything to do with that or cutting up the body that whole thing would have to go and then you're just kind of left with with nothing um, as far as as those two's fate for uh, the movie if you cut that out so that's one of the reasons this movie ended up being an R-rated movie despite the fact that it's almost completely bloodless um, so um, here is my semi-hot take on this movie um, it's not really but it kind of is I don't hate Franklin there it is I said it uh, I don't like Franklin. He gets on my nerves, but I don't hate him. Um, he's paraplegic. He's stuck in this heat. Drug along as a fifth wheel, and literally in this case, you've got two couples: his sister and her boyfriend, and her best friend and her boyfriend. And then here you come with, you know, a wheelchair um, in the '70s with a van that's that's obviously not, you know, handicapped capable um, or handicap appropriated whatever you want to call it um, yeah he's he gets frustrated yeah he's whiny but you've got Texas heat you've got shoved in a van you've got the brother so it's not like you're just a friend of both you know oh this seems like a good road trip oh no we have people buried we have family buried in the cemetery that's been disturbed you're coming with me. He was drugged into this situation. He's stuck in it. And so, yeah, he, he gets on my nerves. But at the same time, you know what? I don't hate it. 
feel bad for him. He's really one of the ones that I truly, truly feel bad for. Um, so, um, Sally's boyfriend, Jerry, goes to investigate why they're, they haven't come back. Pretty much gets the same fate. He gets a knock upside the head. It leaves this one a little open. Um, you never really know if he's, you know, because they, they set up in the beginning that sometimes you hit him the first time, it doesn't kill him. Well, so now you've got this one. It cracks him one time, and then it cuts back to, to Sally and Franklin. And they go out into the woods um, to go and find their friends and find the keys to the van because they took the keys with them, of course. The horror movie, you have to. Um, and you get the scene, the one really bloody scene, the one that, that, that there actually is a bit of gore, is the lights come on and Leatherface is standing there and he chainsaws Franklin. So... Sally goes running through the woods, um, through the, uh, um, mesquite trees and all of that. Um, fun fact, um, because of the height difference and because of the shoes, um, the platforms, who thought that was a great idea to run in. Um, the, all the sequences where Gunnar Hansen is Leatherface stops and cuts the trees and and um, swings the chainsaw menacingly in this foot chase are because A, he's a foot and a half taller than she is and, and she's wearing platforms so she can't really run all that fast because he would just catch up with her about every fourth step. Um, so you have that, she goes to the house trying to get help and of course it turns out to be the same house that everybody else is going to. Um, she runs inside, she goes upstairs and finds what looks like dead grandpa um, and she comes back down and Leatherface is standing there in the doorway she goes back up the stairs in the classic um, final girl fashion um, which is probably why every other final girl that has a staircase in their house runs up it um and but unlike a lot of them where they just hide in the corner or whatever she's so hell-bent on her own survival that she jumps out of a second story window just cannonball through the glass uh and keeps on going so she runs down the street um Okay, Jen says uh, a very she has a very hot take, but she has a lot of compassion for Franklin. Uh, the character is not very likable, but there are moments. There are some very sweet moments with him, and and you can tell that both him and Sally get frustrated with each other. But there seems to be moments where they genuinely care about each other. That's very well written and very well uh, put out there. It's subtle. Um, they're in a stressful situation, so probably in a normal situation, they would probably be probably good buddies, you know. Yeah. So, um, 
she goes through the second story window and heads down the road and we get back to the gas station um, and we get the uh, cook uh, the old man whatever you want to call him um, I can't remember what it they actually name him in the second one but I can't never remember what it is uh, Jim Seedow is the actor who plays him um, here's another semi hot take on this one I don't think he's a very good actor. Um, there's a reason this one and the sequel are pretty much the only things that he ever did other than local TV commercials. Um, he's really not very convincing. Um, he's neither really creepy nor is he really endearing. He's... It, it felt like they grabbed the first guy off the corner and said, hey, you want to be in a movie? Um, and he turned out to not be horrible, but he's not great. He's really not even good. He's just not horrible. Um, but you do get a pretty funny scene where he subdues her with the bristle end of, the, of a broom. Um, he goes to beating her over the head with it. Um, and it's the bristle end. It's not even the handle. Um, puts a bag over her head like she was, well, like she was game. Um, and takes her out and puts her in the truck. Uh, there's one rope tied around the outside of the bag. So in real life, yes, yeah, she could have gotten out of this. This, this is those moments that, that Toby Hooper intended for there to be dark comedy in it. Uh, and some of it lands, the broom lands for me, and the, uh, comment that the cook makes, um, about... Uh, the cost of living and electricity and running a small business. Those are funny. Those were funny to me back then. Uh, even before I knew it was supposed to be a dark comedy and looking for that sort of stuff. Uh, those are great. The the one rope around the outside of the bag, not so much. That just, uh, just makes both of them look dumber than what they've been. It, it takes away from the character that they've developed for both of them up to that point. Um, so, uh, like I said, he makes a comment about um, um, the cost of living, the cost of running a small business, uh, which the economy in the early 70s was not unlike what it is now. Um, <clears throat> And, and it was. It was a daily grind for people to run a small business. And you had to watch and you had to pinch every penny you could pinch. Um, he takes her back home, or he's taking her back home and he runs into the hit, hitchhiker uh, who he stops and, and whips with a belt because he's the one who's caused all of this. Um, and almost got them discovered. Gets her back to the farm, um, and Leatherface has changed outfits. Uh, he's no longer wearing the other mask. He's now wearing um, the first of two uh, female masks. Um, and this one is the one that for cleaning the house and getting things ready for dinner and, and all of that. Um, and then he puts on the quote-unquote pretty woman mask with the makeup and all of that on it when he goes to sit down for dinner which is supposed to be a different woman's face I can't tell the difference in the masks but 
there were masks that were different. Uh, we get to the dinner scene, and this is probably, for those of us who are, are into the behind-the-scenes kind of stuff, um, this is probably one of those scenes that, that we all know so much about. Um, like I said, it was late July, early August, in Texas, in the heat. They were supposed to be shooting at night, or there was the film continuity. This was nighttime, this was dinner time. But they were shooting um, pretty much a 24 to 30 hour, depending on who you listen to, straight stretch to get this all done at once. Um, so they had the windows covered, they had the food in there that was, because of the heat and stagnation, rotting, rotting in front of them. Um, they're all, you know, in costume, they're all soaked in, in everything, the blood and gore of it. Um, uh, Gunnar Hansen talked about in a couple of different interviews how literally they would have to um, spray the back of the shirt uh, because between the salts from the sweat and the fake blood on it, the shirt would literally get so stiff um, that it wouldn't move at all. Um, you get the uh, finger sucking scene which um, you know uh, he ended up cutting her for real um, on uh, she's tied again to the chair made of human parts uh, her armchair actually has human arms um, you get some of those uh, a lot of a lot of the more um, academic people will talk about uh, some of the shots in it being reminiscent of um, some of the more legendary filmmakers. The eyeball zoom, the um, Dutch angles, the strange semi-zooms, the, um, the same kind of um, focal pull that they did um, uh, very similar to what they did a couple of years later and on of course much bigger budget on Jaws um, where you've got where the they pull the focus and the zoom at the same time so that it looks like it kind of goes in and everything around her blurs um, you have that and then of course you get she finally breaks free and escapes and um, she gets out and then we get to the scene with the truck driver um, who runs over at a, um, the hitchhiker um, the, just plows him under um, and Leatherface attacks the, the truck <laughs> and you know um, man, uh, Trips manages to to chainsaw his own leg. Um, story about that one is um, they put a metal plate and then they put um, pieces of meat over the top of it so that when the chainsaw hit, it would uh, a real blade on um, or chain on. Anyway, they actually took the bits off of the chain, but it was the chain itself. Hits his pant leg, hits his the leg 
it would cut through the pants and it would sling the meat, but it wouldn't go through and hit him. What they didn't think about was the fact that that chainsaw, you know, revving it up as he comes out and, and all that, that chain running, and then it going through that and hitting that uh, metal plate, that chain was going to be hot, and the second that it hit that metal plate and ground, and ground against it, uh, he actually blistered up his leg pretty bad from what they've said. Uh, that, uh, you know, big water blisters underneath that metal plate. Um, didn't actually, of course, do any major damage or anything like that, but still, everybody suffered on this one, you know. Um, you have to suffer for your art, right? Well, they suffered on this one. Um, eventually, uh, he attacks the big rig. They get into a passing pickup. They go straight to the authorities, or, or you would assume. Um, and you get the famous Leatherface dancing in frustration or celebration, depending uh, on your point of view. I've heard people argue either one. Um, yeah, they got away, or oh, they crap, they got away. Um, I'll leave that one subjective. I think it's frustration. I think it's um, because he's nonverbal for the most part. Um, obviously, deep on the mentally challenged um, scale. So I, th I think it's frustration. I, I I feel really bad for Leatherface on this one in a lot of ways. He is obviously very mentally challenged um, and raised by people who were themselves mentally challenged um, but but a higher functioning than what he is um, it, this this movie can be to me broke down in so many different ways and I'm gonna leave a lot of that to like the scholarly people this is I'm just I'm just a gore hound I'm just someone who loves horror movies um, that's actually one of the main points of this podcast is I'm no newbie by any means. I'm 50 years old. I've been into horror since I was 10. Um, but I'm not somebody who's ever going on huge deep dives. That's the point of this. This is an everyday person who just loves horror uh, and has picked up a few facts along the way and has delved into it and enjoyed watching it. Uh, and I want to share that love with other people. And I want to share my love for the movies. For the horror movies. So that's why I'm doing this podcast. Um, for those who, who haven't followed me on YouTube before. Uh, covering the big four is to set my baseline. So you know kind of where my perspectives are. Where my hot takes fall. And uh, what I'm all about with, with them. Um, so I'm going to do... Uh, the first installment of the Big Four, each on their own week. I'm going to follow that up with week five, being um, Scream. Uh, Scream is the god level of the second tier, as far as us old folks uh, would say. Um, and and when I go over the first Scream movie, I also want to kind of go over, do I personally think that the franchise as a whole and the first movie in and of itself is classic enough 
is uh, on a level high enough um, for it to be the big five versus the big four. Um, and then we'll see what movies I want to talk about after that, what old school things. Uh, there's a couple of other ones. Um, a couple of other ones that have really near and dear places to my heart that I want to talk about. Um, and kind of just sort of roll through. Um, just like this one, there will be spoilers um, for on all the episodes. Um, I, will, I haven't done it yet, but I will probably do like sound cues and things for uh, to and kind of separate things out and kind of um, get better as I go along. My bullet points for tonight were kind of weak, but I got there. Um, I did hope to have a guest host or to have a co-host, but they didn't um, show up. So uh, if I get one, awesome. If I don't, well, then I'm just going to do it myself. So. Um, and Miss Jen says that I did a great job. Thank you so much. Um, it's difficult and easy at the same time to talk for an hour on these movies. Uh, there's so much history and so much... Um, um, they, they've been such a part of, of, of my life for so long um, that um, it's easy to ramble on and at the same time... You, kind of everybody else has already covered everything um and again i'm not doing some huge deep deep dive i might occasionally hit imdb and pull up the trivia if there's something that i think is really really neat um on there uh, but we'll see how things go this was my first episode and i hope everybody has enjoyed this uh, if you would like comment subscribe uh if you're on the podcast um side of things uh please uh give me a rating um please follow subscribe whatever on there and um thank you all so very much for joining me um and as i say at the end of all my videos and i'm going to keep saying it on here y'all be good y'all be safe and y'all have a good one